before the end of the show, I want to play what I thought was the best answer Ken Dorsey had to say. Because it wasn't just the PR-ified answer that I think we're used to from Kevin. And that's I'm, I've compared them twice. I'm not trying to bash Kevin. If anything, I just want to set Kevin free. I just want Kevin to understand that press conferences don't have to be as as uptight as they feel. If you if you listen to the I mean Kevin I think spoke for 2 minutes today and it sounded as if there was some sort of torture device that if he said the wrong word it was like speed. If he went if he went below 55 mile an hour the bomb was going to explode. Like Kev, it's okay buddy. It's just press conferences. But I do feel like the Browns put a lot of pressure on external messaging. And I and listen, on one hand, I, I remember the days of the Sunday morning blues where you'd wake up and you never knew which Sunday it was going to be. But usually at least one Sunday of the final six Sundays in an NFL season, it would be Jimmy Haslam is starting to explore the coaching market. It would be um, Hugh Jackson wanted A.J. McCarron, but uh, a faulty fax machine or a faulty person uh, operating the fax machine in the front office blocked the trade, which, by the way, was the smartest thing that ever happened because A.J. McCarron was, in fact, roasted dog But in terms of a starter, fine backup. But, like, I understand that there are a lot of people who just feel like, guys, we're not dysfunctional anymore. Why does it matter? Well, just because you aren't the most dysfunctional organization in the NFL – doesn't mean that there aren't, I don't even want to say dysfunction because that's such a heavy word. We, it means something totally different to us. But it doesn't mean that you're where the organization should inevitably be. And I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting that Albert Breer, who joins us every single Thursday at 520, took crap from Browns fans when he was on his uh, NBC uh, uh, New England uh, hit talking about the perception and, and the reports and the thought that it wasn't just Kevin Stefanski's decision to let go of Alex Van Pelt, who's now been hired as the Patriots OC. The reason he was let go in Cleveland was because ownership and Paul D. Podesta, not Kevin Stefanski, ownership and Paul D. Podesta were frustrated with the progress Deshaun Watson had made. I don't think that they really, truly, the people who made that decision really, truly knew his value to that staff. Other people on that staff, not so much Kevin, but people below him, were floored when they fired him for two reasons. Number one, how do you fire the offensive coordinator after you just won 11 games <laughs> with four different quarterbacks, with your fourth <laughs> and fifth tackles, without Nick Chubb? He was able to help build an offense that was able to sustain. So there's that, like that I think is one reason why people there were floored that he got fired. The other one I think is, a, is the real key though. He was the glue of that staff. Kevin, if you know him, he's a great guy. He's not the most outgoing guy. His personality is very dry. He's got a good sense of humor, but he's not like this outwardly gregarious guy. Alex was the one that held that staff together. When guys were coming out, when guys were going in, he is a guy who was a unifying force in that building. I thought it was wild that Browns fans were furious that, Al that Albert would be saying this up north, always being a patriot stooge. Uh, is that because you didn't hear what you wanted to hear? Because, I mean, Albert has said it. There are other people have pointed to the perception is, right or wrong, that it wasn't Kevin Stefanski's decision to fire Alex Van Pelt. And it does matter. Power dynamics do matter. Listen, organizations don't come out and say, hey, guys, we're dysfunctional. 
Hey, guys, uh, we have too many cooks in the kitchen. Hey, guys, our owner is still somebody that meddles a little bit. So I do think that is every uh, that that bit of sound there is something that every Browns fan needs to hear. And it's something you need to file away. Because I'll be honest with you, and I, I, I think I've said this now twice in the show today, but it's a point that I think really bears um, bears emphasis. Scapegoating is what middle-of-the-road or bad organizations do. And four straight years, I can sell you that the Browns have scapegoated somebody. So last year, I'm oh, sorry, let's go back to uh, coming off 2021. You win eight games. Baker's dressing like the bad guys from Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Uh, he's got a mustache and then he has no facial hair. Uh, OBJ's dad's out on social media doing his thing. And in season, they rightfully let go of OBJ when they should have just traded him or cut him in the in the preseason or in the offseason. But then at the, the end of the season, there's the adult in the room conversation. Inevitably, you upgraded on on Baker. There's nobody in the NFL who at that point wouldn't have taken Deshaun Watson over Baker Mayfield. But the Browns really went into that in a situation where they almost didn't upgrade. If not for guaranteeing $230 million, guys, they were going to have to turn Baker Mayfield into like uh, Case Keenum. Or they were going to have to turn Baker Mayfield into Carson Wentz. And they got lucky that all of a sudden Jimmy said, let's do the $230 million thing. A big reason on, I, I think Baker was scapegoated. And they got lucky that they turned it into somebody that everybody agreed was a was an upgrade. Um, last year, yeah, Joe Woods wasn't a great defensive coordinator. Mike Prefer wasn't a great special teams player. But after winning eight games, those guys got scapegoated. They were kind of blamed for, and when, you, when I say scapegoated, I mean, look at kind of the way it was pushed out there. Those guys were kind of held accountable for the failure. So in this case, like the Baker thing, guys, I think Baker was a pain in the ass. I think that mattered a lot more than he didn't play well enough in 2021 because he was hurt. Everybody knew he was hurt. Everybody knew that factored in. But like you could at least say about Joe Woods and Mike Prefer, well, look at their special teams units. Look at their defensive unit. It makes sense. This year, Alex Van Pelt was scapegoated. If, if Ken Dorsey comes in and they run a very similar offense next year, because remember, they were supposed to run a totally different offense. AVP and Kevin were cooking up in the lab, and they're working together. It's a whole new offense. It was not a whole new offense this year. So if it's the same offense next year with Ken Dorsey and Kevin Stefanski, that's for, and, and Kevin calls the plays, it's further evidence that they got scapegoated. And here's the other reason I'm going to use that phrase is it wasn't Kevin's decision. Who makes the decision matters. Four years in, Paul D. Podesta should not have some sort of Svengalian or uh, Jafar from uh, Aladdin poll over uh, the, the king, a.k.a. Jimmy Haslam. He shouldn't because the whole point of having that guy was to establish an organizational culture and make sure that everybody kind of fell under the, the, the right mode of operation. And that after four years, the ideal move for somebody in that position of power is you build the culture and then eventually you kind of, over time, you, your hands kind of go off a little bit. Who in the hell thinks it's Alex Van Pelt's fault that Deshaun Watson didn't meet his ceiling this year?
Seriously. Like, is there anybody logically, anybody think AVP is the reason this didn't work out? And listen, I, I have, I don't like the offense they threw out there with Deshaun for most of the time Deshaun was on the field. It was five games. So even though I looked at it and said, where were the spreads? Where were the RPOs? Where were the, you know, wh- why, why are we constantly focusing on on-time scheduled throws? Why are we constantly having him under center when Nick Chubb's not out there, which is another big question. Like, why are we doing things this way? Kevin Stefanski is the offensive head coach. And I get it. This is one of those scenarios where you can't fire Kevin Stefanski. That doesn't mean you have to go looking to fire somebody else. And I think the Browns have done one of the a, a very tough thing. I was going to call it one of the toughest things. I don't think it's one of the tough. I, I think it's just a tough thing. To go from the laughing stock of the NFL to go from one of the bottom five teams consistently in the NFL to being somewhere in the middle, That is a that is a jump you have to make. But the jump the Browns are trying to make next is a much tougher jump. Because that jump is going from, let's say, the 12th best organization. And by the way, this is not uh, just predicated on where did you finish in the standings. This is about your ability to win every single year. This is about perception of your organization a decade at a time. And for two two years, or what, two decades, the Browns were perceived to be one of the five worst franchises in the NFL. Now, I think if you ask people, if you said, all right, organizational power rankings on how you feel about their next five years, I bet you the Browns would be somewhere in the lower teens, 13th, 14th, 15th. But the usual players, Pittsburgh's ahead of them. The usual players, Baltimore's ahead of them. San Francisco is ahead of them. Um, The Chiefs are probably number one in the NFL because of Mahomes and what they've done the last six years. You can go through and you can find who people will agree, are top 10 organizations. That ain't the same thing as who are the top 10 teams on any given year. Because talent changes, right? But culture is the thing that tends to prevail in the difference between uh, two good years and four years and Pittsburgh not having a losing season since, I want to say, the 90s. Uh, maybe maybe going all the way back to like the final one or two years before that last Bill Cowher team took off. So teams don't admit, organizations don't, don't admit if they're dysfunctional. And scapegoating is unacceptable. And this next step from the Browns, guys, Paul D. Podesta should not be firing assistant coaches, nor should Jimmy Haslam. And now the owner thing, you'll say, and rightfully so, well, other owners have done that. Yeah, in this case, Jimmy Haslam should not. I made the case earlier in the show that the next five years, if you're really going to re-sign, if you're I almost said AVP, if you're really going to re-sign Kevin and Andrew Barry, the next five-year plan, if the first five-year plan was we got to stop being the organization that has what happened to Freddie Kitchens, and we got to stop being the organization that has a new head coach every two to three years, the next five-year plan should be making sure that Kevin Stefanski is in charge of of uh, foot uh, head coaching matters, and that Andrew Barry should be in charge of GM matters, and that that should almost be I I get collaboration collaboration okay Vanilla Ice I get it stop collaborate and listen here's the problem at some point you know because I had somebody earlier on the show say uh, I think it was Dave I can actually pull it up right here at Nick Wilson says say. 
Do you really think Barry would hang around if he was that micromanaged? Yes. There are 32 jobs in the NFL at the GM spot. And to this point, Andrew has not done enough, like John Dorsey did, to get a second GM job. He is widely respected. People like him. People think a lot of him. But two winning seasons in four years for a GM is probably not enough to get that next job. So when you invite guys in, both Stefanski and Barry, they're good enough to prove that they're pretty decent at their job, but they haven't accomplished enough to have earned the kind of power in another job. So this is a moment where I don't understand why Paul D. Podesta is pulling the trigger on assistant coaches. I don't understand why Jimmy Haslam is reaching down from uh, Brantnall to go ahead and and do this for his head coach. I have doubts. Listen, if if you don't win with Deshaun this year, is it probably Kevin that could be the next guy that's scapegoated? Yes. But I got to say, to hear D. Podesta and ownership fired AVP because of frustration with Deshaun Watson's development, that is not what a good organization does. And if the Browns really want to crack the top 10, if they really want to be seen in the same lot league with Pittsburgh and Baltimore, this kind of stuff has to stop happening because these decisions should be Kevin Stefanski's. They should be Andrew Barry's and not some dude living in San Diego who we periodically get to see in the building. Major on Twitter, or Major Cap on Twitter saying, is this really a scapegoat thing or just moving on? Well, I would say when it's not the head coach making the decision, when it's uh, somebody who isn't and hasn't been, and nor will he ever be a head coach in the NFL making the decision, yeah, I would say a not football guy making that decision screams of a scapegoating. It's it's not it was not Alex Van Pelt's fault that Deshaun Watson has struggled in Cleveland to this point. We, we had my my twin daughter's birthday party finally. It, we ended up having we 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 had it, or we we're gonna have it mid January when their birthday actually is, and then. Three of us, including one of the twins, got ridiculously sick. So we finally made good because it was during the Pro Bowl games and nobody's going to skip a kid's birthday party for the Pro Bowl games as if maybe it was like the NFL playoffs. So it worked out really well. But my niece was two years old and she is the spitting image of my uh, my sister. And my, my sister was a hellion. Loud, dramatic, bossy temper tantrum stricken she still is sometimes but this kid is like spitting image of my my older sister and in middle of the the day the dog had been up in our room because he's still kind of getting used to dealing with the amount of people that we have at parties and all of a sudden he was downstairs and I kind of let him out put him on his lead I was like oh that was weird I wonder which kid opened the door and about 10 minutes passed and we couldn't find my 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 two-year-old niece and, we, you know, we were, like, worried that maybe she went downstairs and maybe fell, messing around with stuff. Like, okay, did she go outside? Like, you just never – like, man, two-year-olds are sneaky little so-and-sos. And so we all kind of rush around. Finally, Vanessa calls down. I found her, and I run upstairs, and this kid take, had taken off her shirt. She had climbed into my bed, on my side of the bed, put my – uh my my uh my blanket about halfway up her belly turned on the tv and was in the midst of eating in the most sloppy way a cupcake from the party 
just just acted like it was her crib, man. And and so we we go there and there's just crumbs everywhere, all over the top of my blanket. She's just she's got, you know, icing everywhere. And it was honestly, I wasn't even mad. It was just cute as hell. I was relieved she was good. Until last night. I went to bed. I was tired. It was a big weekend. I went to bed last night and I threw back the covers, didn't think anything of it because I'd already cleaned off the top of my my blanket. And I get in and not only do I feel that she clearly had had maybe covered up the 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 crumbs mess that she had had on her person with my blanket, there were crumbs everywhere. She had also maybe needed a diaper change. It was just wet diaper in the middle of my chest. And I went from thinking that was the cutest story in the world to wanting to drive an hour to kick that kid's ass at about 9 o'clock at night. 216-474-0092. This is for parents. It's for parents, not for members of NAMBLA. Kids' parties, yay or nay. Actually, I really don't mind them anymore. But, man, are they loud. And uh, I, I wanted to get, listen, I have questions about Ken Dorsey. I wonder, and I worry sometimes that, that the inter that the dynamics of the Browns organization could hold back the Browns from being the team that I think they can be. I think talent wise, and I think head coach and, and GM wise, I think the Browns have everything they need to go on a five to seven to ten year run of winning every single year, and that's how you get to to the peak part and the peak perception around the NFL. But. While I have those concerns, may I at least give Ken Dorsey some significant credit here. He was asked about uh, Deshaun Watson saying he wasn't a fan of scripted plays. Here was Ken's answer. One, as a coach and player relations, there's some things that are, are non-negotiables, you know, where it's like, look, this is the way we're doing it, you know, and I understand, like, if you, there might be some pushback, but this will help us, at the end of the day, this will help us win football games. And then there's some things that, you know, you communicate with them, and uh, what are you comfortable with? Where are you at with this, you know? Because there's the factor, yes, with uh, if he feels comfortable with it, but then there's also a whole offense you got to consider with that stuff as well. So, you know, there's some things that we'll go through and say, hey, you know, if you're not comfortable we won't do it that way you know or there's some things that hey look this will help us be better on offense we will do it this way but there's conversations to be had with in that regard down the line in terms of that we're not quite there yet you know there'll definitely be conversations of things like that down the line but you know that's step 75 or so and we're on step five you know so but yeah i mean obviously if it's something that he has a conviction about then we'll talk about it and make sure we're doing the right thing for us as an offense moving forward and obviously a key part of the offense is the quarterback playing at a high level. So you guys always ask, what can Kevin say? What can any head coach say that passes the mustard? That's it. Right there. All right? He starts off kind of as a Tommy truck nuts, which which is, yeah, there's some non-negotiables. And he leads you to believe that might be scripted plays. And then he kind of goes into the idea of what this kind of looks like. And in every situation, it, it's different. But I think there are Browns fans who think, well, Deshaun hasn't earned the right to to have a say in X, Y, and Z. And the reality is, given his contract, yes, he has. And given his play is every single year in Houston, he has. So even though you haven't seen it on the field, like there is this, this push and pull of what Deshaun's going to be comfortable with, what Ken likes, what Kevin likes. And so I think it's really important to hear an answer that says, hey, man, there are things we can't change. There are things we might be willing to change, and there are things we absolutely can change. 
And if the scripting thing is one of those things, well, the, the, the push and pull might be that Deshaun struggles more on the first offensive drive than Joe Flacco did or Baker Mayfield did. That's a decision the coach, the coaching staff has to listen to. But I thought that was by far my favorite answer by Ken Dorsey earlier today because I, I thought it was the perfect blend of honesty and him also still saying very little about the actual decision on whether they'll script plays or not.